When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news. You found Premier Retirement Radio with Jeff Fogan. Jeff is the founder of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for 30 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. And now here's Jeff Vogan and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogel, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jeff Vogel, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Jeff, how are you doing this weekend? Doing great. Always fun to be with you and with the listeners and just here on the radio today. Yeah, likewise, too. Glad to be with everybody here in the greater Tucson area talking about their fiscal fitness and with a little financial education today. It is a pumpkin spice retirement. I'm going to call it that because it's beginning to be pumpkin spice season and blasphemy, Jeff. I went to Starbucks and, you know, they didn't have any pumpkin spice syrup. What? Yeah, they didn't. Well, have maybe any... they're saving it for uh, October, November. I don't know, but it's like, come on, you can't be out of pumpkin spice syrup. That's all you talk about when it comes September. But nevertheless, I have faith that they'll get that in. But anyway, I looked out my back deck there, and you know, I have a house in another part of the country that I'm broadcasting from today. And uh, out in the back, I saw a couple of leaves out there, two or three little leaves that began to turn a little bit. But uh, anyway, the license plate should be turning pretty soon here in the Greater Tucson area. We welcome everybody to our radio program, no matter whether or not you're a native here in the Tucson area or you're just visiting. As with always, Jeff, I want to start with some current events. There is a lot to talk about today. But yes, first sir. of all, I want to lead off with a leading economic indicators report. It was uh, on my radar last week. 17 months falling numbers and 100% recession history. What's your take on it? Well, that recession history is 100% not since like two years ago. This is 100% since July of 1948. So we've got, uh, you know, about 70 years, 75 years of history where the leading economic indicators, once they declined below zero in all 12 instances, recession followed. Now, interestingly, if I look at the graph and I see the last three recessions, one that happened in 01, one that happened in 07, the one that happened for a very short time, but did happen when the COVID crashed, when the leading economic indicators fall below that zero level, now it's been 17 months, as they mentioned, 17 months year over year decline, and it's been below zero for about six months now. The level that it's at is down about 8% of where it was a year ago. So leading economic indicators down about 7 or 8%, which is about the same as earnings have been down for most corporations. If you look at the S&P 500, earnings are down 7% as of last quarter. This quarter, you know, we'll see if they've uh, gone up at all. You know, the companies revise their earnings expectations to a certain level. They've been revising them down. And when they come in, about 80% of the time, they come in higher than advertised, even though they're lower than they should be, and they're not showing growth. So then the stock market pops. But there's two graphs that really get me. One is the leading economic indicator graph. Right now, we are at levels lower than any time in history that the recession started. All the other ones started roughly at 5% down. So we're beyond that for about uh, two months now. So uh, what does that mean? Well, it means there's a little bit extra liquidity out there that's still drying up. We'll talk about helicopter money, I hope, in a minute, because that was also part of this uh, report. But uh, you know, there's a little bit of liquidity that's kind of pushing this recession off a little bit. But I don't think you can 
push it off forever. There's too many smart people that understand what's going on. Yeah, Warren Buffett's selling, you know, $8 billion in a week. I can't remember what the number was that he's raised, but it's in the many, many billions of cash. I believe it's over $100 billion in cash that he's sitting on in Berkshire Hathaway, starting to try to get out and divest of uh, stocks that you know, in order to take advantage of uh, future opportunities. Now, there are certain reasons he hasn't sold more, probably, and that is because there's trade restrictions when you sell big lots and stuff. So anyway, we're, we're looking at this leading economic indicator down 16 months, and it's just not sustainable that there's a situation where we're in the worst leading economic indicator. This is like housing starts, earnings, debt. There's a lot of leading economic indicators, you know, purchases, uh, house listings, purchases, interest rates. There's all kinds of things that uh, go into that uh, leading economic indicator. And that's a big deal. But why aren't we hearing about this on the news? It just really is, is surprising. It's because, well, they just want to cheerlead the market. You know, I said before in other uh, broadcasts uh, over the last several months that what I'm reading is that chief investment officers of most, not all, but most big institutions are not buying. They're actually loving the fact that people are willing to spend their free money that the stimulus has provided over the last few years, just throw it at the stock market and buy stocks at over, hugely overvalued prices, historically as high as they've ever been from a standpoint of earnings growth and prospects in the near and, and even uh, you know intermediate term. So you know, why aren't smart people buying? Why is Warren Buffett selling? Why is the guy, uh, Michael Berry, who, who was the one that called the big short, why is he going short and just bet in middle of August, less than a month ago, bet $1.6 on a market crash? Well, this guy's not stupid. He sees cycles. He looks at things. He basically peels back the layers of the onion to see what's going on. And, you know, he's betting against it. We ha I told you about Stan Druckenmiller. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's managing $6 billion of his own money, and there's nothing on the planet he said he would buy right now. You've got Ray Dalio saying, hmm, you know, I think the recession will probably happen by the middle of next year. Drucker Miller says it's much earlier than that, and so does Michael Berry, the guy that uh, called the big short. Warren Buffett obviously thinks it's pretty soon. Now, why aren't anybody looking at what the smart people are doing and doing the same thing? Oh, well, we are, and we're not buying. Now, I will say that you know I wasn't uh, enthused enough to buy at the beginning of the year when some of the people were just to take advantage of the upward uh, surge because there was real no fundamental reason, including leading economic indicators that made sense for it. You know, you can drive, you can speed to your destination at 120 miles an hour and you might get there safe, but there's a good chance you'll crash. You know, mm -hmm. and I think uh, that's what people have been doing in the stock market is it's like speeding 120 miles an hour to some future uh, speculative gains. And you can only hold out so long before you crash. And I just didn't want to get in that car in the first place. So we didn't get in the market. We uh, stayed out. We've been making 4 or 5% on our money since interest rates have gone up. We love that. We're not taking any risk. We're not losing money. Our index annuities have gone up nicely in the last year because they're indexed to indexes. You know, that's kind of nice. So great. Or well, you know, from year to date anyway, maybe from a year ago, they're not up too much. But you know, we've got ways to make money and not lose money. We're okay watching this thing. And I'm just waiting for crap to hit the fan, so to speak, because uh, all the indicators say that it's going to. I've also mentioned the inversion of the yield curve. That always happens between 12 and 24 months after the yield curve inverts, which happened a June a year ago. So we're still within that 12 to 24 months. We've still got six or eight months left before, you know, it can uh, still claim its 100% affirmative action rate that it always has <laughs> affirming the recession. Unfortunately, it's not uh, affirming in a very positive way, but it definitely looks like we're going to have that. So, you know, there's just a lot of things going on, leading economic. I mean, think about how much personal debt that's out there. Think of the defaults. Car sales are down. House sales right. are down. Uh, you're noticing your market. We were chatting about this offline. You, you've seen some huge, like 10% decreases right. in, in prices. Million dollar homes being dropped by 100,000 at, at yeah. a whack yeah. to try to get people to buy. 
people are getting a little antsy. They want to either sell or they're getting desperate or they're just not able to sell their homes, which we thought were worth a lot more than they maybe really are. So a lot of things happening that uh, are definitely worrisome. You know, student loan uh, forgiveness is uh, going away. That's going to create about a third of the amount that's typically saved is now going to have to be paid back instead of saved. If we look at, you know, a savings rate of uh, somewhere a little over 4% and a 1.2% is what student loans make up. If those have to be paid back, then there's that much money, about a third of what might otherwise go into savings and uh, discretionary spending is going to be gone. We've got a lot of things uh, that we have to reconcile, and I don't think the market likes any of it. And along with that, the Fed says they're going to keep on uh, pushing interest rates higher because uh, inflation's not in control yet. And you talked about historical perspectives as far as uh, markets go and as far as recessions go. We should have already been in a recession by this time, but we're still not in that recession right now. What's it going to take for us to get into this recession? And is a recession imminent? I've seen headlines that say, you know, the recession is coming. It's going to be hard. It's going to be deep, but it's still not here. Can we get out of this without a recession? You know, I don't know. Some people think that there will be. I know, uh, I think it was Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs, one of the two biggies that was saying they think, oh, earnings are good. I think we're going to have a soft landing, not a hard landing. But, you know, with these leading economic indicators and earnings continually going down with the stock market overvalued like it is, but a big deal is this helicopter money I briefly mentioned a minute ago. Right. Over the last three years since COVID, there's been some crazy number. I believe it's uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, $2 trillion of the 3 or $4 trillion that was supposedly stimulus that actually got into people's pockets and have, has been available for market investment. And if you can imagine a graph, I have the graph right in front of me, but I can't really show it on the radio while I talk, but I'll describe it. It looks like a big mountain. And in 2000, it just rose quickly. Within about a year and a half, all this stimulus money came out into people's pockets. Many people uh, improved their homes. They went and bought uh, investment properties. They bought RVs so they could camp because they couldn't go stay in hotels because they don't like wearing masks, they want to go out in the woods, whatever. And they started buying stuff and they started investing all this extra money in the market because they really weren't doing anything else. So we have all this pressure on the market to go up. We had this huge bull run. And now since about the middle of 2021, that helicopter money, that stimulus money has slowly been finding its way into the market, buying stuff. And basically it's being dissipated. It's going away. And based on this graph, we are, the trajectory would have us end helicopter money. In fact, no extra stimulus money. It's all been absorbed or spent or in the market already. There's none of it left as of the end of this quarter, which is what? End of this month. So if we're almost at the end of the helicopter money, in other words, there's not a lot of liquidity out there. The Fed has by itself reduced the money supply by over a trillion dollars, which is less money circulating, less money available for discretionary spending and investing and savings. Interest rates are higher, so people are paying, even businesses are paying more just to service their own debt, so there's less discretionary income there. And it looks like we're kind of at the end of the road for this extra liquidity, which has been propping up the market. Now, a lot of this liquidity was given to billionaires and people that totally didn't need the money, which is why it found its way to the stock market rather than into, you know, paying off mortgages and, you know, housing expenses and living expenses and going into savings so that we could weather this storm that we've been in for the last couple of years. And oh, I can't imagine if uh, the election doesn't go right, we're going to endure it for another four after the after next year. So I, yeah, I'm really concerned about you know what we're going to see happen. And I do not see us not having a recession. The mm-hmm. yield curve inversion, stock market is overpriced beyond historical norms. I mean, I don't even think it's ever been this high. Or maybe if it has, it was uh, just right before the 2000 crash when the dot-coms bombed. And uh, we're there again. Yeah, if you look at history, there just can't not be a recession, but people are ignoring it because 
today, hey, we drove 120 miles an hour and we didn't crash. So I guess yeah. it's okay to keep driving fast and being aggressive and being crazy. And so we're still in the market until uh, we decide not to be. But there's a lot of people that do see the writing on the wall. I mean, it's, many of them listen to this radio show and come in and see me and uh, make, make the necessary changes because they've got brokers and advisors that are only interested in one thing, and that's continually making uh, fees and investing money and doing what their bosses tell them so they can keep their jobs, telling you to stay in the market because don't worry, it always comes back or hey, don't worry, it's long-term money. Well, if you're retired and you're using it, it's not long-term money. If you can't afford to lose it, you shouldn't be in the market. But everybody's being told they should stay the course and just ride it out and blah, 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 blah. The old cliches that end up coming back to bite you in the butt if you listen to them and if you actually can't afford to lose your money. So the people that listen to their own gut feeling, I think, and understand what's happening and digest some of this technical input that we have, we have a lot of technical data that tells us what's going to happen. Historically, history, I hate to say it, but history hasn't failed us yet. They always mm -hmm. say this is different. This is different this time. Well, this is a new day. This is a new age. This is a new market. We got dot coms now. We never had that before. Oh, we've got interest rates falling to zero. We never had that before. Oh, we've got trillions of dollars of extra stimulus. We never had that before. That's true. But every time we have these things that never happened before, we still have history repeat when it comes time to revalue the market at normal levels. And they always come back. Cycles always happen. Markets always cycle. Economies always we cycle. We can look at history. If we can just look at history, we can be so much better off. But people don't want to look at history. They want to erase history nowadays. They want to just pretend that we're in a new age and, you know, whatever the news or somebody tells you is the truth and you should just go do it just because what? Somebody told you they should because they're on TV or, or on the radio. Well, I'm on the radio too. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm giving you some good advice where you got to maybe ask some questions. But don't just believe what somebody tells you because a lot of times it's agenda driven. It's not driven by anything that's real. I mean, take the information that uh, we share with you. Take the information that we're uh, looking up and watching and uh, use it to your own best ability. I mean, if it, if your gut feeling says, gosh, yeah, if money dries up and the Fed's taking money out and raising interest rate, stock market's overvalued, that just makes sense that the market's got to have a crash. Well, then I'd get out of the way of the crash. Stop going 120 miles an hour. Maybe pull off the road and park. Maybe wait this thing out. Maybe get back on the road when it's safe after they cleaned up the wreck. But you don't want to be in the wreck. And I think the, the, the market wreck, the crash is going to happen. And I think it's going to be pretty severe. I've had a lot of people, you know, speculate on how bad it's going to be. And, you know, smart people that, you know, I, I trust, you know, think it's about, you know, that 50% crash is still imminent. I mean, just like we had the last couple of times, maybe even a little bit more before it settles down and, and uh, goes back up. But that means there's better buying opportunities ahead, great opportunities to make money as long as you don't lose money in the meantime. If you're just joining us, this is Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. We've been talking about the economy and the market and the coming recession. If you have questions that you'd like Jeff to answer, then request your no-cost, no-obligation Premier Retirement Roadmap by calling 520-780-9059. Once again, that number 520-780-9059. When you call, you'll get a friendly voice, more than likely Shelly, who will gather some basic information from you and set you up with a conversation with Jeff to create a path towards a successful retirement that can even get you over these bumps in the road. Now remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that when addressed may help improve your quality of life in a retirement that could last as long as 30 years. You'll get to ask Jeff your questions and get the answers you need to put you on the path to a successful retirement. Once again, that number, 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059, or request your complimentary consultation online at premrat.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, every week in this part of the program, we talk about a case of the week. So what have you got for us this week? 
You know, I, I have some really good feedback about uh, uh, the last case we shared last uh, week. Uh, it was interesting. Some of my comments is like, you just described my exact situation. I want to do that, you know. So I, yeah. I, I know yeah. that it's, uh, it's starting to make a difference where people actually see how the pieces fall into place to uh, build that plan and how it actually comes to fruition. We talked about a guy that was selling real estate and actually converted to, uh, you know, paid taxes now instead of later and, and converted right. it to an income stream that was better than fixing toilets and chasing rent and actually made more tax-free money than he would have otherwise and still allowed his kids to get it, get something. But, you know, this week, something that's been weighing on my mind is uh, an email that I got from a, a listener that said, hey, you know, there's another show, a very popular uh, host that isn't a financial advisor, but he has a financial advisor on with a name similar to mine that I won't name, but, you know, someone that somehow people have assumed because we have the same first name is my son. Um, <laughs> that is not the case. And apparently somebody at the radio station said when he called in and said, well, why don't you get the other Jeff on this show? Because, uh, you know, I'm not really you know in line with what the other Jeff, this one Jeff saying. or the other goes, the, the kid, uh, you know, my yeah. son, my supposed son, that's not my son. son. <laughs> Believe me. Now, bless the other Jeffs. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of Jeffs in this business, you and me and this other guy. So yeah, right, right. Yeah. And and I, I don't even like bringing up, you know, competitors. And honestly, you know, we're not really competitors. We just do different things, you know, bless the other Jeff's entrepreneurial spirit. He's building a business. He's got his goals. He does things differently. He has different viewpoints. He's been in the business, you know, less than half the time I have. And, you know, is, is still working at, you know, figuring the long term out. I've been through a lot of crashes. I've been here, you know, 35 years and, you know, been through a few crashes. Maybe you have a little bit more seasoned attitude. Maybe I'm a little bit more low key on some stuff. But bottom line is, is we're different. There's no problem being different. But please don't just assume because we have the same first name and one guy goes by Junior that he's my son. Uh, so I just want to clarify that. If anybody thought it was kind of weird that yeah. we'd both be working for different firms, if that was the case. But I guess the case of the week is just, let me just clarify and dispel that rumor or the myth, if that's what you've thought somehow it, it is. And now I appreciate the fact that I have been around longer and have a lot more experience. And honestly, I really don't care to spend my money to buy my way onto somebody else's show to make their show better, frankly, because you know the, the email was like, how come you don't get on that show? Because I have my own show. I don't need to be on anybody else's show, right. uh, let alone pay them money for it. You know, I don't need to be endorsed by anybody. You guys can hear what I say. So you sure. know, there's no intention for me to go on anybody else's show and talk or be endorsed. I don't buy ads from Sean Hannity and Glenn Beck. I did that for a minute. And I thought, this is stupid. Why? This is, guys don't even know me. It just didn't make any sense. You know, Dave Ramsey, you can buy a, ads. You can buy, actually buy a accredited advisor with an him endorsement, and Dave Ramsey yeah. guy. And an yeah. endorsement, like how is it? You know, my compliance officer says that's illegal, actually. And I'm yeah. not sure how people get away with it. I know in some states, they really come down on that, that you can't actually say so. And yeah. you can't actually have a celebrity say, I do business with them, you should too, because that's actually an endorsement and it's a testimonial. And Arizona absolutely prohibits those. And it's interesting that there are other people that are not related to me, even though some people think they are, that do that kind of thing. We don't, we, we don't and we won't. So if you wonder why I'm not in any other radio shows, it's not because other people haven't maybe wished I could show up. You know, honestly, if they asked, we wouldn't oblige because again, we have our forum right here. We can say what we want. We have our own show. We can build it the way we want to. We are not dictated by what an endorsement person that actually lets us pay them to say good things about us might dictate how we run our show and what we say. So Again, we are totally independent. I think that's part of being a fiduciary is doing the right thing, is not being influenced by somebody else regardless of how, and not buying influence. I don't think we should buy influence. I mean, I, I guess I buy influence by being on the radio because I pay for a bunch of ads so I get airtime, right? So, sure. but it's my show. It's still it's still what I want to say and share. It's not being directed by the radio station. They don't hold me to script. 
I don't have a script. I just come and whatever Jeff asked me, I, I answer and we go uh-huh. from experience and, and understanding of what's going on because I'm in tune with that stuff. So again, it's a little bit different, but I, I think the case of the week would just be the email of the week and just to dispel some rumors that we're not trying to be everything for everybody. We're trying to inform people that they can make their own decisions and basically guide themselves by asking the right questions and getting the right answers from whoever they choose, whether it's me, whether it's a, a hundred other companies in town that they could do some sort of a financial plan with, whether it's a, well, a lot of them isn't financial planning. It's just a portfolio management. But if that makes you happy and it's accomplishing your goals, then go that way. But if you you know think there's value added by the information that we share and we get a lot of feedback that it is, including when people say, hey, why aren't you on those other shows? We'd love to hear you more. No, sorry. You just get the hour. So, but you do yeah. get it a few times on a weekend. So I guess that's uh, that all makes up for it. So. Yeah. Well, they can also hear the show as a podcast too. Go to wherever you get your podcast, search for Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. You'll find this show and all the others as well too. But again, to make it clear, Jeff Vogan is not related to any of the other Jeffs on the radio, including myself. I mean, Jeff, we have the first name as a commonality, but we also have the same middle name. Yeah, we enough. do. We're both yep. we're both Jeffrey Pauls, and I don't know how that happened and how we came to be together on the radio, but it just happened that way. Yep, it was a popular name back then. About that time, we're all kind of the same age. I think the other yeah, uh, right one's a little younger, so I guess fitting that maybe somebody thinks it's our kid or my kid, but right. Yeah. Well, we certainly do wish him well. I mean, he's building a career and bless him. Let's hope that everything goes the way that he wants it to. But make no mistake, there's only one Jeff Hogan. You do have a son. I mean, you've got Jordan, you've got Taylor. Jordan's up there. We mention often that we have an office up in uh, Mesa. Now, Jordan's up in that office. What does Jordan do there as far as premier retirement planning and wealth management goes? Well, in addition to servicing the clients and making calls, you know, to hundreds of people that, you know, I don't have time to actually be on the phone with just for updates and things like that. Uh, the radio show is one way we update every week. You can turn in and see what I'm thinking and why we're doing what we're doing. We have, you know, regular, you know, annual, sometimes quarterly reviews with clients in person or Zoom or whatever if they're out of town. But he does a lot of the service work. He's licensed in the insurance area. So he does annuities. He helps people, uh, you know, when annuities are ready to roll and upgrade, uh, you know, he helps me with some of that stuff. But more than anything, he brings some licenses and some expertise that I really either don't have or don't want to have. For mm-hmm. example, he's the Medicare guy. I don't really want to, it's menial, honestly. It's it's not as big a deal as, I, I think I can make a bigger difference with how we structure the income planning and the investment planning and so forth. But Medicare supplement business and the Medicare insurance planning for health insurance is a very important part of his uh, planning. I pass that off to him. So he's become a, an expert in the Medicare field. So he knows whether an Advantage plan or a supplement would be best for you. He knows how the G plan works as opposed to the old F plan, as opposed to the ABCD year plan. I, I don't even know how many plans there are. That's his that his boat. The other thing he brings is he's got a real estate background before he came back, he decided to work for me. And I was really happy to have my sons both go out on their own and get real world experience before they came to join me in my business because I wanted them to have perspective and also have appreciation for what we built here, to be quite frank. But Jordan has been in the mortgage business. He's real estate licensed, uh, just had another closing of a, a deal just last week outside of just the financial business that we do. So when we get clients that are tired of shopping mortgage rates and tired of all the points and fees they have, have to pay and not knowing what they're really going to get, we do a wholesale version of that where Jordan can broker that. He can shop the market and get the mm-hmm. best deal, not mark up the points because he's getting paid from the business. He doesn't have to make a ton of money on a mortgage. So we can be fair to you. The banks always pay a kicker for uh, setting up the mortgage. But what most people don't know is those points that you pay, that's just extra commission for the guy that sold you the mortgage. You don't have to pay them. They're getting paid. 
And so we don't believe in getting paid twice any more than I would feel comfortable getting a commission on an annuity or life insurance policy for a LERP or something and then charging you a fee for it too. I think, you know, double dipping is wrong. It's, it's unnecessary. We make a really good living in this business. I hate to say it. I mean, I, I'm glad to say it, but you know, we make a good living by just taking what's given to us already written into the structure of providing these services and, you know, providing a certain policy or product. So we don't need to mark it up and double dip. And that makes me feel happy that we can basically be not wholesalers, but discount retailers of the best products and shop them around, not be beholden to one company. Also uh, in the real estate market, if somebody wants to list their property and put it out on MLS and doesn't want to pay the listing broker 3%, we list it for 1%. Hmm. You know, if Jordan ends up selling it, then he'll get the other three. But if somebody else sells it, then they'll get it. So you save a couple of points on selling houses. So he does that from the Mace office. He's licensed in the whole state, so he can do it for clients here as well. Reverse mortgages is another big deal. Some people want to age in place. They uh, Their kids don't want the house. You know, sometimes the biggest investment a client might have is their home. I mean, why not tap the equity in your home and live on it? After all, you've saved it, spent it, and paid for it. Might as well be able to use it during your retirement if it's not really going to be in the estate that you pass on or you don't care that it is. Some people don't have kids or maybe their kids predeceased them. Why not use the equity in your house? Maybe reinvest that money in a program where you can generate a long-term care plan if somehow you end up going to a nursing home or needing home health care in your own home even though it's reverse mortgage. So there's a lot of things that Jordan adds that I just really haven't learned and become uh, an expert at where he can focus his time. I still am, you know, have a lot more expertise and experience doing the planning, the tax planning, the putting the pieces together. Once the pieces are together, he's learning how they go and he services those and he understands how the plans work. And uh, pretty soon he'll be able to start doing his own plans. So for listeners have questions for Jeff, Jordan, or Taylor, same number for all three, 520-780-9059. If you'd like your no cost, no obligation retirement roadmap 520-780-9059 you can also request it online at premret.com p-r-e-m-r-e-t.com want more strategies to support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years stick around there's more premier retirement with jeff bogan after this you can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan and you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely To request your no-cost Premier Retirement Roadmap, call 580-780-9059 or request it online at premret.com. Now back to more Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan and Jeff Shea. We're so glad you could join us here on Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan. We're here for you every week on 790 KST for your fiscal fitness and your financial education. Once again, if you'd like to get in touch with Jeff or Jordan or Taylor, 520-780-9059. It's 520-780-9059 to get your no-cost, no-obligation retirement roadmap. You can also get it by going out to the website and requesting it at premret.com. That is P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, as every week, we have listener questions in this segment. So let's kick it off this week with Mark, who's listening to us in Rancho Vistoso. He's a young fellow here. Mark says, I'm 35 years old. I'm an MD, only a year out of training. Why should I put any of my 401k and other investment money into bonds as opposed to investing only in equities and a smaller amount real estate? I understand bonds have much lower risk and every book I've read recommends a minimum of 10% of bonds for anyone. But since I don't plan on touching any of these funds until retirement in 30 years, it can be reasonable to invest no money in bonds for now and then add that to my portfolio maybe 10 years into the future. While this would be a relatively aggressive investment strategy, it seems that I could tolerate any changes in the total stock market over the next 10 years before I made my portfolio more conservative by adding bonds. What's your opinion on this strategy? 
Well, I think obviously you're a doctor, you're a smart guy, and uh, you've just shown your intelligence in investments as well. I think if you're just brand new out of uh, med school, shoot, you, you're going to be paying off some loans maybe or just getting started, you know, buying houses and the fancy car doctors are supposed to drive, whatever. You're going to have a lot of stuff going on where you're probably not going to be sucking away, you know, millions of dollars anytime soon, but you're going to start dollar cost averaging in the market. And as you uh, get set up and as you start making more money and get more established in practice, you're going to make more and more money at that point. You're going to get some big chunks, but you'll be dollar cost averaging into the market. That's the best way to start. However, along the way, just like you said, maybe 10 years down the road, you got your first million. Maybe you got two million, whatever. You've got your first big chunk. That might be the time that you take that chunk off the table, say, oh, look, you know, the market averaged zero over the last decade, but because I dollar cost average in, I averaged 6% and almost doubled my money. I'm doing great, but I don't want to lose it in the next decade in the roller coaster ride that might happen. So let's just assess where the market is, what the economic outlook looks like. And it might be smart to take some of that money off the table, start putting it into some principal protected assets. In fact, you might want to even start looking at LERPs and other things to supplement what you can put in your 401k and stock market in order to plan for taxes, because I'm guessing you're going to start off in a pretty high tax bracket and your taxes are probably only going to get worse during your working life. And maybe even if you save enough in your retirement life, even be worse. So you probably want to do some tax planning along the way. That doesn't necessarily mean do Roths and pay taxes now, but take as big a deduction as you can from 401k contributions and matches from whoever employs you or from your own self-employed status if you want to set up a self-directed 401k plan or some sort of a contribution plan where you know you set yourself up. But bottom line is it's great to dollar cost average in for the first five or 10 years. Maybe add some uh, tax deferral or some tax planning along the way, but be sure along the way to take those chunks. The worst thing you want to do is say, yeah, look at me. I dollar cost average for 30 years. I've got $8 million. I'm ready to retire. And then the market crashes. And you think you can live on 500,000 a year for the rest of your life. And then the market crashes 50%. And you're like, oh man, 4 million. I better cut my expenses in half too. Yeah, well, that's true. And, and I'm looking at, you might sound, think that that sounds like a big number, but 30 years from now, it's not going to be that big a number. You know, that's probably a reasonable expectation for somebody who's making, you know, similar dollars now to be making a similar income by the time they retire. So again, you know, be careful not to lose your life's work in market corrections. And you do that by taking some of the risk off the table. And it could be through bonds, depending on how bonds are moving. I wouldn't have wanted to invest in bonds last year, even if it was time to get out of the market in bonds. You know, even though all three indexes are down over the last couple of years, bonds are worse than you know the Dow, NASDAQ, and any Russell index, except any bond indexes. The bond indexes are down more than the stock market is. The stock market's been on a roller coaster ride. Yeah, you're still negative in the stock market for the last couple of years, but you're more negative in bonds. So you don't want to buy bonds at the wrong time. You want to buy bonds when they either have high interest and you're using short-term bonds like right now. We would only use the one to three month bonds right now because the Fed keeps raising interest rates and anything longer than that's going to lose value. You're going to end up losing money. So, you know, when that time comes, it'd be probably smart to get an advisor that can uh, start setting up that retirement plan. You're probably not ready for a guy like me yet, honestly. I mean, you just need to uh, take advantage of everything you can invest in. Get the match from your employer if you can. Start dollar cost averaging. Pay off any debts that you have, you know, the student loans and stuff. Try to whittle those down as you save, but don't not save. You need to start saving right away because the compounding factor of the more you save, the more you have in the future, it is based on the younger you start, the better off you are. So don't put off everything saving, but uh, start adding tax planning and other savings vehicles in addition to those typical retirement plans, which for a doctor, somebody in the medical field is not going to probably make enough just through a 401k. They'll need to do some additional savings and investing and smart planning aside from that. So 
uh, good job for thinking correctly. Uh, I think you're on the right track. Mark, thanks for listening to us in Rancho Vistoso. And another way that we know you're a bright person, you're listening to this radio show. And we wish you all success. The world needs more doctors like you, Mark. We're going to be sending you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Our next question, Jeff, comes from Andy in Tucson. And Andy says, my mom is 75 and debt-free. She's investing $600 a month in a universal life insurance policy worth $250,000. She wants to leave something behind when she dies. What could she invest that that money in instead of this life insurance to leave an estate. Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but something you're putting about 7000 a year in that's going to guarantee a $250,000 tax-free estate nest egg to the kids, I think is pretty nice. You know, she could probably make the same amount of money if she lives 20 years just about anywhere else, dollar cost averaging into the market or buying a type of flexible premium annuity maybe that has a principal protection. You might get to 250, but you know, if she gets hit by a truck in 10 years, that's a pretty good rate of return on her investment. Unless she's already been investing in that for 20 years and she's already put $200,000 away, if that's the case, then I'd look at the cash value, maybe cash it out and do something that might provide a bigger death benefit. But, you know, don't turn your nose up about tax-free and guaranteed and principal protection if she's got the right kind of a a universal life insurance policy. If it's universal where it's just paying a 2% rate of return because she got it a few years ago and interest rates were low, then I'd say she needs to probably revisit that while she still can. At age 75, you're kind of at the end of when you can even buy new insurance. But I am not against universal life insurance for legacy planning because it's tax-free, it's guaranteed growth, you have a really good predictable outcome, and in some cases, is a very good guaranteed outcome. What I would caution you though is make sure that 7000 a year is enough to keep that policy in force till she's at least as old as she may live to and that might be 100 years old. So some of these policies are designed to have minimum premium in order to sell a bunch of life insurance because that's where the commission is and you know they can say oh well minimum premium as long as uh, this utopian world happens and we make more money on this than we probably will then uh, it only costs you 600 a month but in reality the target or the more realistic premium might be a thousand a month. Make sure that you're not on what I call lapse track. And that might be that if she puts in that $7,000 a year, $7,200 a year at $600 a month for another 20 years and puts $210,000 in, but the cost of insurance is so high just to get to two fifty dollars that all of a sudden this policy runs out of cash value. The cash value starts going down and runs out because there's not enough cash value in the policy to keep paying for that death benefit. Then uh, if you're on lapse track, you want to probably rethink it, either pay more for it or rethink a different investment. But there's a lot more to this picture than just that simple of a question, unfortunately to give you the pat hands down, this is what I would do answer. So again, I would look at it. I would get an in-force illustration and to see if we're on a track to lapse or what would happen if uh, it doesn't perform at its current levels. Maybe it has a lower guaranteed interest that could happen in the you know next five or 10 years, maybe not right away because interest rates are going up, not down. But you never know about these things. And you want to make sure that you know that 250 is not just predictable, but it's more of a guarantee type of a rate of return. Now, the stock market isn't predictable either. She could dollar cost average in the stock market, put two or three hundred thousand dollars away and only have two hundred or less when she dies. And there might even be some taxes on some stuff that that weren't paid depending on how she invested. So again, there's a lot of what ifs 
in this question, but it's a good question. I am not opposed to life insurance being a legacy plan, but check the policy, make sure it's still predictable and guaranteed, and then compare it to whatever else you think might be a better opportunity. Andy, thanks for that question, and bless mom for thinking about the kids. We're going to be sending you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Our next question, Jeff, comes from Dean, who's listening to us in Dove Mountain, and Dean writes, I'm about to be married again. My first marriage ended in divorce. I have two children, and my wife-to-be has two children as well. I want to make sure that if I die first that my children will get my estate and not my new wife's kids or possibly her future husband if she remarries. Her kids are already well taken care of by their father. How can I accomplish this? Well, I mean, first of all, you're thinking about this before you get married and commingle your assets. Once you get married and commingle assets, community property says they're half hers, so good luck with that. So uh, you can get married, and as long as you declare all your property sole and separate and never commingle it, keep it separate accounts, keep your kids on as beneficiaries, or what I like better is a trust where you are the trustee and your successor trustee is your kids, not her, you can do that, and that typically is enough. However, if you think she might marry some dude who's a greedy sucker and wants to uh, try to reach uh, through her uh, the new marriage back into your estate, you might yeah. even want to have her sign some sort of a disclaimer letter or a disclaimer document that says, I disclaim any interest, future interest, present interest, or any interest in trust property that was in that trust prior to our marriage. Mm-hmm. Now, what you don't want to do is start adding funds that might be hers. Let's say she's still employed and you're not, and uh, you use those funds and you start putting uh, some of that money into a bank account that's in your trust. Once you start commingling her money into that trust, then there's a hole in your plan. So make sure if it's sold and separate, you never commingle assets or use any of her money in those or ever let her or her family or her estate or her trust, if she's already taken care of, she's probably already got assets. She's probably going to want to do the same thing too. I'm sure she has the same worry. She's probably thinking, man, I don't want, I don't want Dean taking all my money with his kids. Shoot. You know, I mean, yeah. I want to make sure mine is mine and stays in my kids and estate. So, you know, you're probably on the same boat. I have no problem. I have a lot of clients that are in second and third marriages. They have trust from prior situations where they manage their own trust and their kids are the beneficiaries and their kids will get their half of the estate. Now they might have a, a home together where they both pay maybe part of the mortgage or they take turns paying the mortgage every other month or whatever, or somebody pays a mortgage and the other person pays all the utilities, food and other bills, and it comes out even. Whatever your deal is, just make sure that you're not moving assets from one account to the other where they become what could be considered commingled. If they stay uncommingled in the community property uh, situations and the ability to reach into somebody else's estate just because they're your spouse or an ex-spouse would not apply based on my understanding. I'm not an attorney, so I'm not giving legal advice here, but I am a certified estate planner which means I do kind of keep up on the estate planning uh, situation and know the ways that smart people do these things. And uh, I would consult uh, for any type of disclaimer documents or trust with somebody who's uh, either a certified document preparer that knows how to uh, prepare these documents. We use one in our office, or you go to an attorney that uh, might uh, be able to build a a little bit thicker wall between you and uh, your wife's future spouse and uh, their kids or a future potential disinheritance with some sort of disclaimer documents that uh, build a little bit thicker of a, a barrier between that estate and your estate. And Dean, thanks so much for listening to us there in Dove Mountain. We wish you much success with your second marriage. And if that doesn't work, we wish you success on your third marriage. If you've got a question for us, you'd like us to answer on the air, you can send it to us basically two ways. You can call it in Shelly if you want, 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059. You can also send it to us uh, by going to the website, primret.com. There's a contact form there, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. And again, if we use your question, we will send you out Jeff's book, 
retirement the road ahead. Jeff, before we continue, I want to take a moment to remind our listeners how they can have a conversation with you to get their particular questions answered. If you need answers and request your no-cost, no-obligation Premier Retirement Roadmap by calling 520-780-9059. When you call, you'll get a friendly voice on the other end of the line who'll gather some basic information from you, then set you up with a conversation with Jeff to create a path towards a successful retirement. Now remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that when addressed may help you improve your quality of life in a retirement that could last as long as 30 years. You'll get to ask Jeff your particular questions and get the answers that you need to put you on your path to a successful retirement. Once again, 520-780-9059, or you can request your consultation online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. If you're just joining us, this is Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan. If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan. You'll get this show and our past shows so they can stay on top of your wealth and your path towards a successful retirement. Now, Jeff, I know that when you do these financial portfolios, you illustrate things out on a whiteboard. You really do explain it to your clients quite well. But I'm sure that once it's done and everything makes sense to them, once in a while, a client will say, all this sounds great. It looks like it's really going to work. But how do I know it's going to work? How do you stress test this retirement plans to make sure that they'll work not only in today's economic environment, but tomorrow's? Well, first of all, you have to use conservative assumptions. You can't really use averages because, you know, the sequence of returns risk. Yeah, you can average 10% in the stock market, but if you take out more than 4% a year, you'll run out of money in 25 years, you know, at a too high of a percentage to, to risk. So, you know, the stress test is really, you know, how much can you afford to, it really comes down to this. And that's really how we build our plans is not necessarily a stress test, but it's a more reasonable we make reasonable expectations and we don't put too much, I guess, stress or expectations in the returns on an annual year-to-year basis on our plan. For example, you know, somebody came in to see me, um, you know, two or three years ago, or let's just say two years ago, and uh, right out of the gate, you know, moved, uh, let's say, a million dollars out of the stock market into a variety of principal protected assets, uh, LERPs and different things, and maybe kept 200000 in the market. The market money was down maybe 10 to 20% before we got out. So there's two to 4% overall that was lost on that portfolio. Well, that's, that's what the, the market is down anyway, and the bond market even more than that. So we're no worse off. But our plan showed a 4 or 5% average annual rise rate of return. How are we going to make that up? Well, part of how we make that up is the principal protected accounts that didn't go down are assets that we can take income from as we go forward while markets uh, tend to heal. So we have a balance of accounts, some that have risk that we can wait on, the amount you can afford to lose or wait on, and the accounts that aren't at risk, those that uh, create principal protection or even better, create guaranteed income. Now, the other thing that we look at is it uh, the stress might not be placed on the portfolio so much. Well, it, it, it's placed on the portfolio to the extent that it needs to create income. Income is a killer for a volatile portfolio. Volatile portfolios will die when you're taking income out. It's the negative dollar cost averaging, which is really weird because, you know, some companies that call themselves fiduciaries only use stocks and say that somehow there's some, you know, realistic approach to taking income and why you don't need annuities, don't need principal protection, don't need insurance, and don't need all these other things. But somehow, because the average high rates of return that they've got over the last 20 years is going to somehow make everything hunky-dory fine, but it's not. The math shows it doesn't. I tell you this story about Norm. I even show you a graph in my book that shows what would happen if you had your money in the stock market and started taking 5% out when the stock market averages 10 over a long period of time. You only take half of the market upside out. Yet because of sequence of returns, you're going to be out of money in 20 years. 
Well, most people you know, want to retire for longer than 20 years. That just gets you from 65 to 85. What if you lived to 95 or 100? What if you lived to even 87 or 89? I don't want to have any of my clients run out of money. So you have to uh, structure it to where there's enough principal guarantee to where you can deplete assets that aren't at a loss in those years when the market is at a loss and you have those assets in the market. We also use income guaranteed products um, and these are done by income annuities, not annuitized annuities where you just give your money to the insurance companies, you get a paycheck till you die and the insurance company keeps the rest of the balance of the account. Now you might get a really healthy uh, payment from that type of an annuity, but your money's gone for your spouse or your kids if you had planned to leave anything to your heirs. The better type of annuity are these new index annuities. We call them new generations annuities. I do, I mean, that's kind of, kind of a standard word for them. Other people call them hybrids. Other people call them different things. But bottom line is companies will allow you to keep access and ownership of the balance of your account, but they're so confident in their ability to leverage the interest that they make on your money that they will guarantee you a certain payout of income. We have some that are based on an 8% payout rate that won't run out of money till you're 100. And if it does run out of money, they'll keep paying you the money because they're confident with their current interest rate environment how much they can make on your money over the next 20, 30, or 40 years. Insurance companies plan for the long term. They can do that. So we can unstress or de-stress your portfolio just by moving assets into those principal protected accounts that guarantee income. And if you have a need for $100,000 of income, but we can give you guaranteed income of 110, and you still have 400,000 left after you move a million or two into other things, or even a few hundred thousand dollars into other things to fill those gaps between social security, guaranteed pensions, and other things to get you up to that level of income that you need for the rest of your life, giving you a slight increase for inflation based on uh, you know the, the increases in social security and the fact that over time, you'll probably be doing less stuff later and be spending less. That money should, we, we can predict how long it will last. And if you still have extra for gravy, it doesn't matter if the market's up or down. Guess what? You just took the stress out of your life. You took the stress out of your retirement plan. You can sleep easy at night because you know you're not going to run out of money and you can still spend more than your budget says you have to spend to be comfortable. So that's really the, the key. And, th- and the other thing is, is uh, let me just explain that for some people, they have a little higher expectations than maybe their savings will generate. I had a lady that wanted to make 60000 a year in retirement over and above her Social Security when her husband died. Mm-hmm. She had $400,000. She goes, well, what do you mean you can't do it? 400000 is a lot of money. Well, yeah, it's a lot of money if you want to live on maybe 15 or 20 of it. We can do that. But if you want to live on 60, I mean, you're, you're stressing that thing out. You're basically on a collision course. You're going to run out of money. So you better have a very short life expectancy or we need to kind of dial back your expectations and become realistic. But fortunately, what I find is most people come in here and they find out uh, even though they think they might not have enough to last, by structuring their assets in income generating, guaranteed income generating asset classes, we still have enough left over to play the market, swing for the fences, hit some home runs, have some fun, have some upside when it's there, and not worry about the downside when it comes back to bite us in the rear later because all of our bills are paid because our mailbox and our bank account gets filled with paychecks and money to pay the bills every month. So that's really the bottom line. How do I de-stress a portfolio or stress test a portfolio? First of all, we find out how much money you can afford to lose. And if you have more money in the stock market, that indicates that you're risking more money than you can afford to lose. Then we need to de-stress it by moving it out of there. That's how we de-stress it. And we put it into places that'll guarantee that income and that uh, peace of mind that you deserve. Jeff, when you're stress testing portfolios, do you simulate the portfolio's performance during historical adverse economic conditions? Because I know that we like to think that history repeats itself, but it doesn't always do that. We don't have to stress test something that's guaranteed in good and bad markets. But if, we, if, if we're counting on our income 
to come from assets that have risk, then we absolutely need to use historical ups and downs and you know backtest them in the actual volatile markets. I don't like doing plans like that. So generally speaking, we don't really do that. We do it just like I, I mentioned. Now, I know there's some people that are, you know, their brokers or their dealers say, we don't use annuities or insurance products. We don't insure any of our income. So we have to stress test and we have to use actual market cycles and, you know, the what ifs and the random returns to dictate, you know, through some sort of a Monte Carlo analysis, what would happen if we keep all of our money in stocks and bonds and history, all of history's random rates of return get mixed up into a million different scenarios and come out with a percentage of success that might happen. A lot of people are okay with that. I cannot be okay with that because most of the time, somebody with, let's say, a million or two you know, in, in retirement, I'll just use that number. You know, we have a lot of clients from Raytheon that seem to be kind of the common number there. But you know, they'll come in, I'm just thinking of you know, kind of a common situation. A lot of those guys, because they're engineers and analyticals, they will go on the, well, it used to be the Fidelity website. I don't even know where they go now because the new I don't think the new uh, 401k has it, but you know, for years they would come in with these Monte Carlo simulations that they did. I says, well, it looks like as long as I spend less than seventy thousand a year out of my account, I've got a seventy-nine percent chance of uh, being okay till I'm ninety. I said, okay, well, there's two problems with that. What happens if the 21% that you don't seem to be too worried about happens and within the age of 90? And what happens if you live to 95? Well, I won't because my dad died when he was 87. Well, I don't care what your dad did. Your dad might have died. When, my dad died at 59 and I'm 60. So mm-hmm. I've already beat him. And I certainly am not going to plan on, oh my gosh, my dad died early. I must be going to die early too. No way. I'm going to live as long as I can. So I'm going to plan for a, an income plan or a life for as long as I can. I'm not going to put a number on it. But sometimes these stress test software do that and you have to come up with some sort of assumption. But then as far as income, social security, other things, you know, we don't know what kind of uh, things are going to happen along the way that might just happen when the markets are down. That means you might have to take extra money out of something that's already stressed and down. So I try to take the stress out of the stress testing, frankly. But if you're dealing with the broker that only does the stock and bond portfolio because they think what got you there is going to keep you there, what I mean by that is what got you to retirement is going to get you through retirement. That is, in my opinion, math proves that all wrong. And I've said that a hundred times, maybe more than that on the radio and in conversations over the years. But bottom line is protection first. The strategy that got you there is not the strategy that keeps you there. And if you're going to try to use that strategy, you better do some stress testing. And that's what most portfolio managers do. And I'm sure that's why you asked that question, because it's probably online is you should get your portfolio stress tested and make sure that it'll handle all situations. Well, if it's all at risk, then yeah, you better. But if it's not all at risk, you don't need to worry about the 20% that's in the market because you could lose all of it and you'll still be okay. If if you do a plan right. Jeff, if our listeners have questions about stress testing their portfolio or they want to get in and talk to you about creating that Premier Retirement Roadmap, very, very simple to do. Call 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059. You can also request it online at premrat.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Well, Jeff, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, I really want to thank our listeners for joining us here in the greater Tucson area. For Jeffrey P. Vogan, I'm Jeffrey P. Shade. Get out, have a great weekend. We'll talk again next week with another edition of Premier Retirement right here on 790 KNST Tucson's most stimulating talk. Investment advisory services provided through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC, an Arizona state registered investment advisor. Securities transactions are placed through TD Ameritrade. Insurance and annuity products are offered through Premier Advantage Inc., DBA Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying abilities of the insurance carrier. The show is intended for informational purposes only 
only and is not to be construed as advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Premier Retirement and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered.